You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. How do you find a trustworthy financial planner? And if you're really into real estate, how do you find a financial planner who understands your strategy and supports it and can help you with it? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Our guest today is just that. Kyle Mast is a financial planner, and he's also a real estate investor. He's a CFP and the owner of Clarity Financial, but I just want to warn you, he is not taking new clients at this time. But he's happy to give us guidance here on The Real Wealth Show for free. So Kyle, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Thanks for having me, Kathy. So do you agree that it's important for your financial planner to understand real estate if you are also investing in real estate? Well, that's a, it's a very loaded question. Yes. <laughs> very easy question. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, if you're not interested in real estate at all, um, then you probably don't need a planner that knows very much about it. But yeah, if you, if that's a big piece of your portfolio, especially if it's the majority of your portfolio, you need to make sure your financial planner and depending on what you mean by financial planner, um, uh, does understand real estate just as much as maybe stocks and bonds or something that's maybe more typically thought of in that, in that area. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I thought, you know, a financial planner technically should be someone who looks at your entire financial plan that would include real estate, but generally it doesn't at all, right? It's just mainly for stocks. Yeah, it just it depends on who, you know, when you when you go to look for a financial advisor or a financial planner, you know, there's a couple um, things that you maybe want to look for when you're looking to work with someone. Some people are very focused on investment management, um, getting a portfolio of investments that include stocks and bonds, maybe some alternatives uh, in there that could include real estate. But uh, sadly, our industry, a lot of the training is really focused on stocks and a portfolio and how to allocate it according to someone's age. And, and those things are all important, but it misses, you know, a, a broader picture of, you know, if you own a primary residence, you know, should you consider refinancing at some point? And a lot of times uh, the incentives maybe aren't aligned when you work with a financial advisor. If you want to pay off your house, that's less money for a financial advisor to manage and make fees on. Uh, and that doesn't mean that a, a good financial advisor or planner can't overlook that conflict of interest uh, and give you good advice one way or the other, uh, depending on your situation. But those are things you have to be aware of. If they're getting paid on a certain product or investment, uh, that's a conflict of interest that kind of dictates how they may offer you advice. Sure. Always follow the money, right? That's the problem is we don't know often how to follow the money. I was a mortgage broker for so long. And and back when mm -hmm. I started you didn't really even have to disclose how much you were making. You know, it was just back end uh, commissions that could that would be made. Uh, sometimes three percent. You know, of a of a one million dollar loan in California, thirty grand to push some paper. But the the client really never even knew that we were making that much. Mm. So, is it the same with financial planning? Is there kind of secret fees behind the scenes? Yeah, there's different. Maybe I'll try to use an illustration to kind of give people an idea. When you're when you're looking for a financial planner, um, I'm I'm what's called a fee only fiduciary. So I'm a certified financial planner, but I'm also a fee only. So that means I don't earn commission for selling an investment product. I earn fees from the clients, either that if that's for managing something for them, whether it's a portfolio of investments, or a lot of the times it's an hourly fee for just advice or a, an annual retainer fee is actually what I do with a lot of my clients. And that type of model is kind of like, maybe liken it to, if you were going to shop for a car and you went to Kathy's fiduciary car advising and she, she you, you know, you don't work for Toyota, you don't work for Honda, Ford, 
any of these companies, someone comes to you and pays you $300 and says, I have a family of four. What's the best minivan I should buy? Mm-hmm. That You have no dog in the hunt. You're making your fee for giving the advice and you could send them to the Toyota Sienna. I'm talking about minivans. We just had twins. So these minivans <laughs> are on my, on my mind. But you know, you'll send them wherever is best for that person. That's a fee-only advisor or a fee-only financial planner. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about, a, say, a Toyota dealership, if, some, if you go into there and you say, what's the best car that I should buy for my family? They're not going to send you to the Honda Odyssey. Right. Makes sense. You know, they work there. They know their cars really well. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just something that you need to keep in mind. So in in the financial world, there are advisors that may work for a larger company. Um, I won't mention company names, but larger companies that have proprietary products or investments that they, uh, a financial advisor may earn a little bit more or a commission or be incentivized in some other way, like with uh, trips or things like that to sell a product into a portfolio. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot, I know a lot of really good advisors and good planners that are in that model of, uh, the industry, but that's a conflict of interest that you just need to be aware of when you're, when you're going to, to work with someone. So if you're, if you're looking for someone and you want complete objectivity and you want as little conflict of interest as possible, you want to look for someone that's fee only, and that is going to charge you an hourly rate or even an annual retainer. And, uh, a lot of times people don't want to pay for that. You know, an hourly rate might be for a really good one. It's going to probably be closer to the $400 an hour range. That's probably mm-hmm. the highest end. Um, you might even get higher than that. Uh, for one that does a retainer on someone who has a larger portfolio of real estate or investments, um, depending on on what you have going on, uh, it may be, you know, you could you could pay $10,000 a year and even, and even more. But then there's others. If your situation is not as complicated, it might be worth just paying for an hour of time of a financial planner, if you pay $400 and they give you advice on some tax planning situation and a portfolio allocation that saves you 20,000 every year for the next 30 years, it's not a bad investment. Uh, Yeah. So that's that's kind of the model. If people are looking for something completely objective and if you currently have a financial advisor, that's something to maybe do a little bit of research and see what their model is. A lot of people don't know how they pay their financial advisor. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the first question to ask, how, how they get paid and they should be able to answer it, no problem. Um, and they should get paid and they should get paid well if they do a good job. But you as a customer or client deserve to know how that's happening. Which are the commission, the highest paid commission investments? In other words, the ones that a financial planner might be most, oh. um, you know, might benefit the most from putting you into? That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> So it changes over the years. Um, and thankfully, there's more regulation than there used to be on some of this mm-hmm. stuff. So that it does have, like you were talking about the mortgage industry, things have to be disclosed more. Uh, some of the higher commission products these days would be things like variable annuities, um, which is like a, a insurance investment product hybrid to really kind of simplify it. And that doesn't mean it's a bad product. It means that there's a certain incentive there. And there are situations where that makes sense to have, to have a product like that life insurance, some insurance sales. Um, that's a part of the industry that there really isn't a non-commissioned product out there. It's pretty much every, anytime you buy life insurance, um, there's going to be some sort of commission. Um, some financial advisors, and I, I have to be careful. I, I hesitate to call them advisors sometimes. If you're, if you're just in, and I would say an insurance advisor, if someone is just an insurance salesman, they know a lot about it's insurance. It's a salesman. Yeah. Not yes, an advisor, yes, salesman. yes. Yeah. But they need to, they know a lot about insurance and I refer clients to an insurance advisor or salesman 
to advise them on what insurance they should get and then bring it back to me so that I can look over it and make sure there was no incentive or, you know, whole life insurance has a very high commission. Um, yes. It's a very high commission product. There's a place for that. For most people, it does not fit. Um, yeah. For higher net worth people, it, it can fit in, in certain areas. Um, How high net worth? I'm curious. Oh, this is another, it depends. You know, depends, I would yeah. say, you know, 5 million and above of net worth. There's, you could probably make a pretty good case for it. Below that, there's definitely, uh, you can make cases for it. Um, I, I, ha- I shouldn't even put a number out there, but that, that's probably that, that popped into my mind. Uh, okay. Well, you know, I'm just you, curious could because go, yeah. we got calls all the time from people wanting us to promote it and I didn't understand mm-hmm. it enough, so I didn't want to do it. Um, but I, you know, I just knew that there were huge commissions and I didn't really understand the benefit, but I keep hearing how great it is, but I'm not sure if that's coming from the salespeople or or from the client. Well, in the, to go in a little more detail in it, in the real estate arena, you know, your listeners, um, there's a little bit more benefit to a whole life insurance product if it's structured correctly. And the reason for Mm -hmm. that is if it's someone with higher net worth or higher income and higher income bracket, it allows you to access funds tax-free um, by taking loans on on an insurance product, and and it's a it's too much detail to go into on this podcast. But there is more of a case to be made there. But you do have to understand it, and it is not easy to understand. And mm-hmm. and a lot of times, um, that that starts to get even higher net worth. You know, like you get to where you're really structuring a whole strategy around your your. Uh, there's probably there's like an infinite banking concept out there that several people are are proponents of, and it's, it's a very good thing for someone who has very high net worth and they're building a team. They have a financial planner, a CPA, an insurance expert, an attorney, you know, it's kind of this family office type setup where you're really building out something that is a generational thing and your taxes are just eating you alive. Then you add this product in, but you know, for the, for the average higher net worth person from the one to 5 million range, it's, I would say it's the minority that you would need a product like that because you can get wow. the insurance. Okay. If you're looking for life insurance, term insurance, which means you you pay for it every year for a certain number of years, either it's 20 or 30 years, you know, you get a million dollar policy. Like for me, million dollar policy, guy in the thirties, it's $60 a month. And, and yeah. after 30 years, it's done. You know, I don't get any money back, but if I die, my family gets, you know, it gets a million dollars. You can invest that, put in real estate, whatever is to take care of your family. It's not an investment product. It's not meant to be a cash management product. For the most part, that's going to be the best bang for the buck. And those extra dollars that you would have paid for a whole life product or strategy can be used to pay down debt or to pay the mortgage on a rental property, invest something, invest in some other way. Um, you know, Dave Ramsey often pushes the, the buy term, invest the difference. You know, that, that's kind mm-hmm. of as opposed to whole life. It's not quite that simple, but for most people, that's probably a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just figured that it was, it was uh, circulating among regular folks, you know, and that probably the people benefiting the most were selling, but uh, you know, I, everybody's got to make a living, right? Oh yeah. So, definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I find it fascinating to meet someone like you because I, I was just talking to Rich thinking this is what we need. You know, we need that person who can look at everything we're doing and let us know if we've got the right insurance or we've got, uh, you know, maybe we sh- we're we not diversified enough. We're definitely not diversified enough. We're barely in the stock market. We played a little bit when it tanked uh, last year, but um, not my expertise. So we just, you know, didn't want to put too much into it. Uh, have a little bit in gold, 
I don't know if that's a good thing, but to, to have a service like that where somebody is just being paid by the hour, uh, it sounds amazing. Um, I know that I want to preface this with letting our audience know that you are retired. You are not taking, I think you're retired or you're not taking new clients. You're, um, so let's just get that clear. You're not promoting yourself. Uh, but how does some, how does someone find someone like you who is taking clients? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I'm not officially retired. I, I guess I could, if I, I enjoy my job a lot and I've really dialed it back. Like I said, we have twins on that are here now. Um, and so family is really important to me and, um, yeah. So, and financial independence is a big, a big thing for me too, but yeah, to find somebody, uh, that is kind of that hourly model. There's, there's a couple organizations out there. I, I'll throw those out there. That's actually probably a good place for listeners to, to head to. One is, uh, the XY planning network is it, it's called it's, I'm a member of the organization. It's like a professional organization, um, that we do continuing education through. Um, but it's mm. only fee only certified financial planners. So there's no commission product financial planners, a part of that organization, um, and that's, they have a website and you can search for someone by geography. You can search by, for someone by expertise. So if you mm -hmm. want someone who's real estate focused, it's a very good place to go for that. The other organization is NAPFA, N-A-P-F-A, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. And that's also a fee only certified financial planner, CFP only organization. And it's a similar, similar place to go to find someone that, that works on that model. Um, what you will find is you will find people in, in like in any industry, people that have less experience, they might mm -hmm. still be really good at their job. There's people that have less experience than me that are way smarter than me and do a way better <laughs> job than I do for sure. But mm -hmm. what you'll find is the people that have five to 10 years of experience, it's going to be more like me, at least in this industry, there's such a demand for the fee only financial planner that has the 10 years of experience already that, um, a lot of us are very busy or we've really dialed yeah. it back to, to not be taking on clients or take on people that we just really like. <laughs> That's about, right. you know, it's it's yeah. less about growing the business anymore, as opposed to like working with people that we can really provide value to. So, um, yeah. those would be the good places to start. And, you know, if you go to either one of those websites, they have, they'll have a description of kind of what that person looks like, but I should okay. say, you know, your certified financial planner, not every financial advisor out there has that credential. You know, there's CPAs, mm -hmm. you have these other uh, uh, professional designations out there and that certified financial planner, it's a, let's see, when I took it, it was a seven exam, uh, seven separate exams that you have to pass and then a 10 hour, two day exam that you have to pass. Wow. Uh, and you have to have three years of experience to hold the credential that you have to do under another CFP. Um, and those requirements might've changed just slightly uh, currently, but that's kind of what you're, what you're looking at. And it, the, the work is in insurance, estate planning, investments. Uh, oh, there's, there's several other, uh, mm -hmm. different courses that you have to go through, but that's the that's person great. that you're, you're wanting to look for, you know, what someone that, that's looking at everything. And then honestly, when you, if you're talking to somebody like you started off right at the beginning to find someone that if you're very real estate focused, you don't want someone that says, sell all your real estate and put it into <laughs> Tesla. You know, that, right. that's just yeah. not, this doesn't make sense. And, yeah. and you want, you also want a CFP. If you think of a CFP kind of as the quarterback of a football team, 
you know, you have, there's, there's a wide receiver that knows his job and is way better at it than the quarterback, but the quarterback knows what about what he's supposed to be doing. So mm-hmm. if he's doing something out of line, so like if I refer to an attorney for estate planning and I see something that's not quite right, I'm not an attorney and I can't give specific legal advice, but I can at least tell the client, you need to get another right. opinion. This is incorrect. Right. So that's kind of how a financial planner works. It's that broad uh, stroke over the entire situation. And if you're more real estate focused, well, so where I was going with that is if, if the tax implications, a lot of financial advisors yes. don't even look at, you know, if you're starting to draw income in retirement, you need to look where you're going to draw it from. Do you draw from uh, capital gains with a lower tax bracket? Do you draw rental income? Do you pull, you get a home equity line of credit to do income for one year because your taxes are too high and then you pay it off next year. Like there's all these little pieces. And when do you take yes. social security? So and they all balance each other out. Whereas if you have someone who's just investments or someone that's just insurance, they can give really good advice in those areas, but they've got to meet together. Or like if you're getting a 10% return in one investment, but your taxes are hitting you at 45% because you took it out of the wrong account or from in the wrong strategy, you're really negating a lot of the value that's provided there. So does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm wondering when we're going to get an AI that we can just put everything in and it spits out what we need to do, <laughs> then the government would get involved and, and not give you this tax. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So we, yeah. Yeah. The problem is people don't fit into a box good enough right. for it, for AI. You know, if we were all robots, then they could, I think they could create an AI for it, but you know, each, each client, you know, I have, I have a client that he, he just, he's losing his job, but they saved really well for retirement and he, he's going to be retiring next month, but his situation is way, different. He's able to do that because his, his living expenses were really low. I have another client that's a very similar situation and it's going to be tough for them because their, their strategy could be the same if their lifestyle was, was different, you know? So everybody, you know, you'd really, really have to have someone that really wants to look at your whole situation and make recommendations specific to you as, and and your family, you know, the goals that you have, do you have kids? Do you not have kids? Are you going to get an inheritance at some point? Do you have goals? (laughs) Right. You got to start there. Yeah. I shouldn't assume that. Yes. Yes. Some people just haven't, a lot of people haven't sat down or you have to keep revisiting them because life changes. And um, that's something that you would want to do, you know, ideally with a coach or an advisor. So I'm curious why a financial planner would choose one over the other. It seems like you would make more money and maybe it's the same thing, but in a situation where it's assets under management or, um, or commissions or both versus just a flat fee. Yeah. Well, so I'll kind of, I'll be very transparent in how I operate my business. Um, so I do, I do a lot of assets under management and I also do like one time fee only like hourly stuff and then retainer, uh, where, where you charge a certain amount a year and the client has access to you. Um, Initially, to get into the industry, it's a lot easier to do commission products. You can you can sell a product. You, it's like you said, everyone needs to make a living. And, mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that we're not... Sometimes I tend to talk down on that type of the industry. And I, I really need to be careful not to because you these are good people that are trying to make a living and really yeah. believe in the product that they're selling. They're just mm-hmm. not looking at the whole picture sometimes. So yes. that usually early on in a career, that type of commission product makes more sense because if you, if you're doing assets under management, if you're selling a product, a hundred thousand dollar product, and you make a 5% commission on it, you make $5,000 just like that. If you're going to manage assets for a client, say you're helping them, you're advising them on real estate and investments, and it's a hundred thousand dollars worth, but you're going to charge 1%, which is maybe an industry standard. Um, that's a thousand dollars a year 
for five years that you have to wait to get that 5,000 if you would have just sold them a product. So that's the temptation. Yeah. It's a delayed gratification type of business. And, mm -hmm. you know, the early, so the first two years that I started my firm, I, I left, I bought a few little clients from an old firm and started my firm. I made $13,000 the first year and $19,000 the next year. Super mm -hmm. small, you know, but I was building a model of retainer clients only like a long-term so, so that's why an advisor might choose one or the other, um, mm -hmm. apart from the, the objectivity, you know, I chose this model because I, I want to make sure that my conflicts of interest are as clean as possible, mm -hmm. um, for clients and that they know that when they're coming type. to me too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, you know, it's the same for me at real wealth. I could be selling $5 million homes in Malibu, but that's just not where my heart's at. I want to help mm -hmm. The average person build, uh, yeah. you know, a portfolio of hundred thousand dollar homes that pay us barely anything, you know. But yes, it, yes. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for not selling this <laughs> and doing the real wealth instead. I appreciate that. Yeah. For everyone listening, I have a couple of homes that I'm I'm going through in Florida through the real wealth. I was telling Kathy before we got on that I wish I would have found them earlier because I tried to do some of my own betting ahead of time in a market, and it was it's working out, but it was a lot of work, and it, it's been nice to to work with the team. That means so much. And I was so surprised when, when you said that in our pre-interview, I had no idea I should have known, but, um, but thank you for saying that. So tell me if you don't mind what, uh, what was difficult about trying to do it yourself? Cause you live in Oregon, right? Mm -hmm. And you were trying to buy in Ohio. So, um, what, what did you learn in that process of doing it yourself? Is it hard? It's just hard to know where to start. You know, I just, mm -hmm. I just booked, uh, ticket to Dayton, Ohio and, and <laughs> met with, I think five agents and three property managers and a couple lenders while I was, you know, local lenders in the area. And you come away thinking it just kind of a whirlwind because you haven't actually worked with these people. You've interviewed them. So do they interview really well, uh, mm -hmm. but they don't do a really good job. Uh, so, so I've gone through one property management company there. I'm on a second one and they're doing okay. That, you know, mm -hmm. it's not amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was very, it was very tough. I, I, I'm trying to diversify out of Oregon. So that was the reason that I went there and, and, and looking at Florida and some other markets too. But, uh, yeah, I, it's just nice to have, I'd rather spend my time analyzing, uh, deals or, or getting the financing, the, the, the financial stuff that I'm really good at rather than the boots on the ground, betting property mm -hmm. managers, uh, yeah. and builders, uh, which I, I love that you guys do that. <laughs> kind of do it's that. really nice. I love what you said in the, again, the pre-interview is, um, is like, what, a, what an interesting model to have crowd-based real estate. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, I had yep. never really thought about it that way, but that's what it is because these teams that we refer people to, if we get poor reviews from our members, well, they're not going to be on our list anymore. So it forces them to be great and to take mm -hmm. care of our members. And, and, uh, yeah, so I, I really appreciate that perspective. They they work so hard um, at doing that, and I I sometimes very rarely because I I need to be in a really good mood and feel really strong. But sometimes I'll do a Google Google search on myself, and recently I saw something on Reddit that was like about us, and someone's like, "Oh, I met them, and you know, not impressed." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I wonder why? What did I do?" But uh, they also said, "What do you need them for anyway? Go just go do it yourself." and I so wanted to respond and say, yeah, do, do it yourself. And also know that there's this group of people who have, have a great track record. You know, you can, that's, that's the benefit. But, uh, but anyway, you know, it's, it's hard to understand that until you've done it. And there's a lot of do it yourselfers. It's just, and do it yourselfers 
are just that they're good at that. There's people like you and me that would rather not, right. Rather have pay someone else to do it. Just like I'd rather pay you to look at my portfolio and help me. That's it's the same kind of idea. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. And that's not just in real estate, you know, that's a, that's a decision we always have to make, whether we do something ourselves or whether it makes sense for us to hire it out, pay someone else to do it. If you, you know, if, the, if it's a lifestyle that you want, that you love going into a home and, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines in it to death, you know, like really renovating a place, burr strategy, you know, bring in tenants. You know, if that's what you enjoy doing, don't hire, don't, don't use real wealth. You know, yeah. why would you do that? Because that's yeah. what you enjoy. I, I enjoy financial planning. I enjoy time with my family. I enjoy investing a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, that's at a high, high level. I don't enjoy getting down into the weeds, at least not anymore. When I first started, you know, I, I was helping to renovate our duplexes and, and things like that. But, but you kind of, you move past that and I didn't enjoy it. That was to learn, learn, learn what I needed to know. Um, but some people enjoy it. That's in anything. Like if you're going to fix your own car. If you really like fixing your own car, go for it. I don't like that. So no. I have somebody else do it. I'm putting solar panels at our house. I'm really enjoying it. I'm not going to hire someone wow. else to do it. I'm doing it myself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's one of the best. It's I'm having a blast doing it, oh. which is, I wouldn't have told you that I'd be up for doing something like that, but that's, that's what people have to decide. So, you know, that reviewer on Reddit, you know, that's great for them. If don't hire them, if you can save money or you think you can do a better job. Yeah. Uh, but if you have hundreds or thousands of investors that are vetting these uh, providers, it might be hard to do a better job than, than that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, so, so good. I know we're just about out of time. I just going to look at my list of questions to see what I might have missed. Um, okay. Let's talk about this. This is, this is a question that comes up a lot. Is there an age limit to investing in real estate? Because I know that that's been a thing for financial planners saying, oh, you know, by the time you're 60, you really need to be in conservative investments, maybe even younger. I'm not sure. Uh, but we have a lot of people that come to us later in life because they are maybe liquidating, um, you know, property that they had in California that they can sell for a million dollars and they can get into five brand new rentals in Florida or something like that. And, and maybe they're 65. I mean, we've, we've had people in their seventies and eighties, even doing that. I'm um, increasing their cash flow. Do you, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I, I would say definitely no age limit. Um, real estate, just like a lot of other investments, uh, you can, you can dial up the risk or dial down the risk mm-hmm. just as pretty easily within that asset class. So with real estate, you know, and this depends on how you look at risk too. Like maybe you put 75% down on a property and you only take a 25% loan because you just want to have this little tiny mortgage payment that is not a big deal. You're 70. And if, if something mm-hmm. happens where there's a tenant out for a few months and you have some cash reserves that you can pay that, it's not a big deal. Or you can just pay it with your social security check to cover that mortgage. Um, or you pay all cash for the property uh, mm-hmm. to reduce the risk. And now I, I will say um, you, you have to be careful in thinking about risk and, and what I've seen, especially in this market, is if you pay all cash for a property, I would I would say you there's actually some more risk there than you might realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you've talked about this on on this show with other other guests before too. But the fact that you can get a thirty year mortgage for two point nine percent right now, or as an investor three and a half percent maybe um, on a single family home, and you can take that one hundred fifty thousand dollars that you would have put to pay cash for it and keep that in reserves, or maybe get another one like like you said, if you sell a property in California and you get 
a few nice loans on a few other properties that cash flow, you're paying down the mortgage, getting depreciation. I would argue that having all of your cash locked up in that property, there's, there is some, a different kind of risk to that, that you do need to be careful of. You might not want to do that with all your properties, even if you're 70, even if you're 80, it's okay to have a mortgage. If you have, if you have a big chunk in the bank of reserves that you can pay that mortgage off for 20 more years and you're 80, I think you're going to be okay. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. That, it's all about reserves, right? Yeah. It's good yes, property management and reserves. Even in our own um, single family rental fund that we have, mm -hmm. I was really nervous about getting leverage on that because, you know, you got to make those payments. And when you're talking about a $5 million payment, you know, loan, it's different than a $100,000 one, right? You got to, you got to be able to make those, uh, those payments. So we just did what you said. We kept plenty in reserves, but we also had some of the portfolio in cash so that if anything happened, we could just sell that one property and, you know, we've got, we've got the cash, um, or invest it in short-term lending or something like that. So I, uh, I, I, I do agree that regardless of age, you could be 30 and it's a huge risk for you if you don't have the reserves, but you bought a property and it's vacant for a couple of months. And then there's repairs that are needed, which there always are. Don't think that there won't be. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have that money. That's, it doesn't matter how old you are. It's a, it's a horrible situation. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It, the, the reserves is, will make or break a real estate portfolio. That, that's a, that's a big deal. And you know, this, we're at a weird time now where inflation is outpacing these loans that you can get on properties. And that, that's not always a typical scenario where you can get a loan with a lower interest rate than what the, the, the actual inflation numbers they're coming out with. If you, if you want to look at what inflation might really be, you're probably doing even better. But if you can get a loan for 3% and inflation's at five right now, the, the bank is paying you to, to have that loan. It's kind of becomes an asset to you in the long run. Um, I'm so glad you yeah. again brought that up because so many financial planners and just conservative investors believe you should pay off your primary residence when in fact that's where you can get your cheapest money, right? So if mm -hmm. you refi your primary and get that 2% loan or whatever um, and reinvest that, of course, you need to know how to reinvest that properly. Um, that could be a really good use of money. I mean, do you, do you see any issues with cash out refinancing your primary? Uh, it, it, it really depends on someone's situation. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, so personally, or for someone who, for a client that's very responsible with money, has good savings, has good reserves there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It is the cheapest money that you can get. Uh, it's, it's incredibly cheap. You know, we're the only country in the world that has these 30 year loans that you can get at these, these low interest rates. Um, it might not always be the case. And the other thing that I should say is that it, it's not always that way. You know, you look mm -hmm. at different decades, it always doesn't always make sense. You know, the, what I'm advising clients to do now, 10 years from now, it might change depending if interest rates are a lot higher, if they, they need to refinance for some other reason, or say they, they are buying a house and interest rates are at 8% now, it might make sense to pay that loan down faster because you're getting a guaranteed 8% return on paying that debt off. And say inflation is about the same. Um, so it's not a blanket statement for all times, but where we sit now at, with, with these just historically low rate uh, loans that are available with inflation outpacing it is very unique. And, and it is, if you have the reserves, it's a pretty, it's actually a, it's actually a very good hedge against inflation, which reduces your risk. Because if you have too much 
cash not working enough for you, inflation is going to eat away the value of it. And if you can put a, a loan on a property that cash flows very well, you know, this is, this is not speculation. These are investments that cash flow, then it helps hedge against inflation, which is a very big risk to retirees, especially if you especially have fixed today. income. Yes. Mm -hmm. You, you can really be hurt if the cost of food doubles in the next five years and your, mm -hmm. your retirement income does not. The cost of everything doubles or triples. Yes. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. accelerating. Okay. And then finally, is there a point where one might be too, not diversified enough and just own too much real estate? Um, yeah. So real estate, it, it depends on the, on the person, whether you can say you have too much real estate or not enough real estate. I would say if someone's very heavy real estate focus, you understand the industry, that's what you want to be invested in. I would say it's more about making sure you're diversified within markets, mm -hmm. uh, because if you are too heavy in one market, that that can really hurt you. Uh, I would also say that there's benefit to the liquidity of other types of investments. So mm -hmm. if you're investing in a 401k, a Roth IRA, uh, traditional IRA, even precious metals like gold and silver, there's different benefits to those. That it is good to have some some of those other vehicles, you know, especially like Roth accounts that are not, mm -hmm. you pay the tax now and you never pay tax again. I, I think that's an account that's going to go away eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can take advantage of those accounts, max those out, I, I would definitely recommend doing that. Uh, if you're a big, if you're really getting into real estate investing, and buying more properties, it's not too much trouble to max out your Roth IRAs too. And I've seen where clients, that liquidity, that future investment liquidity from those accounts um, affords them the ability to buy a property, you know, and pull it out tax-free. Whereas if you pull it out of a 401k or a pre-tax account or sell an investment, you might have to pay tax on it without 1031 exchanging it. But a Roth IRA account, if you've got a hundred thousand in there, you can pull it out and it doesn't mess with your taxes at all. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Okay. Well, I'm sure if we could take live questions, we would get a lot of them, but uh, we've already taken so much of your time. So thank you, Kyle, so much for being here on The Real Well Show. It's been really, really enlightening. It's an honor, Kathy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. You can go to realwellshow.com to get access to webinars. There's over 500 that go much, much deeper into the mechanics of real estate investing including interviews with CPAs who can really help you structure things and save you a ton of money. Uh, we have uh, property managers who will teach you what to look for in property management. They teach those courses and those webinars. We have mortgage brokers who will show you what to really look for in a loan, especially when it comes to investment property. And then we have teams across the country that are over 57,000 members at Real Wealth have been working with and can give us great feedback on how they're doing and they're on our list because they're doing great uh, and they can help you acquire investment property with property management in place in uh, in really hot growing markets like Florida and Texas and North Carolina and then of course uh, great cash flow markets like Ohio so again you can go to realwealthshow.com it's free to join and you'll get access to all of those in-depth webinars thanks so much for joining me here on the real wealth show and we'll see you next time bye-bye The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.